Hi, this is Erica Potter. And this is Hunter Willis. And this is Hot Girl Briefing. Hey, Erica. Hey, Hunter. What are we going to be talking about on today's episode? I think today's episode, we have a pretty fun little topic for y'all. We have... Like, fun, but, like, kind of sad, but, like, you know, I guess you could say it's the end of an era. That Yeah, I would agree with that. Well, I, I would say fun just because it's a little scandal, which... It, it, there's definitely some scandal here. There's some scandals, and, you know, us uh, top girls, you know, there's us Gemini's. Scandals. Yes. We love, <laughs> we love a good scandal in, like, the... In the political world. It, like, you know, here we are, hot girls... Hot girls always want to like know the tea. So here we are, and we're about to spill it all. So we're we got three different portions of this episode because we figured we'd combine all of them for this one episode because there's been a fair bit of drama going on in politics this last week. So we'll really like the last, I mean, there's always drama in politics, but especially with this last week, there's there's been some finality to the drama going on. So I was going to say the drama hasn't stopped since three years ago. Politics were invented. I mean, well, yeah, that's true. But like, it's really been one one after another, back to back ever since COVID, I would have to say like that has been a nonstop political gravy train. But in this episode, we are talking about the great political resignation. Otherwise, resignations, we think are worthy of talking about for the hot girls because i think political leaders every day maybe resign but these ones these ones and were the scalding, the scalding tea is that they've all happened just since the beginning of july i mean that's the craziest part about all of this is that it's all been within this last like week or two that that's the craziest part about everything yes and I will say the first one we're talking about like totally threw me through a loop just because we've mentioned this this person several times in our episodes. He is mm-hmm. definitely well known in the political sphere. And to hear that of his resignation out of left park for me. I mean, I'm not going to comment on whether he should have or not, but like totally out of left field. I never saw that like, coming. I could have expected it, but it's just been like, you know. It, he hasn't resigned yet. I mean, exactly up until now. So it's just like I I just thought that he never was going to at that point. But, yeah, if he didn't like the first or two times in the first yeah. handles, like I would that's when I would think he would exactly. resign. He, he never did. So I was like, okay, I guess he's just never resigning. He's just gonna keep on keeping on. But then he didn't. I was like, whoa. Exactly. So to no longer tiptoe around this name, Boris Johnson is the first political figure that we are talking about with his very recent resignation. So let's just dive on in. So Erica, when exactly did he announce his resignation? So we are recording this on Sunday, July 11th. Yep. 7-11 for all you 7-11 fans. <laughs> Hope you got your free slurpee. But he announced his resignation four days ago, literally July 7th. That was when mm-hmm. he announced his resignation for the world to see. And it was it was quite a shock, although he did. It was reported that he would stay in his current position as prime minister until the fall, specifically October. So while he has resigned, he hasn't immediately left office. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, that was met with a lot of people saying that that cannot happen. They were like, get him out right now. Don't you dare let him stay in there until October. <laughs> and this was also, I mean, obviously it's coming from the opposite party. So Boris Johnson, he is the leader of the conservative party within Britain. So, you know, 
you're already expecting the opposition party is of course going to be like, absolutely get him out. Do not let him sit in the seat another day, get him out of here. So the labor party definitely said that, but it also was coming from his own party. It was coming from the conservative party, but I mean, just jumping back to the labor party. So you had Keir Starmer that he's the leader of the labor party. And he was saying that his party will bring forward a no confidence vote if Johnson was not to step down. And the thing is, Johnson just survived a no confidence vote literally in June. So it's like, you know, how embarrassing. It's almost like if you were impeached twice, that maybe something's up. Maybe you should, you know, resign at that point if you're being impeached multiple times or if there's votes of no confidence multiple times. Clearly, there's strong opinion for you not to be in office. But I, I feel like Boris was like, all right, all right, I'm going. Like, I like, announced my oh resignation. My. Like, what, like, what more do you want from me? Kick me in the butt on the way out. Oh, my gosh. Like, the door is already coming right behind me. But <laughs> I know. You know, he wanted to stay until the fall, and they did not want that to happen. And then his own party, like, turned on him, the conservative party. But then he mm. still said he would support whoever the conservative party picked to replace him as leader. So, like. You know, pretty gracious exit at that point. Like. You kind of like, you've made your bed, now you have to lie in it. Let's at least be gracious while we're being like escorted out of the building. <laughs> you know, like that's kind of, when I hear that, that's all that I hear is like, you know, you just got kicked out of the club. Don't fight security on your way out. Just, just go out, just walk yourself out. Don't make them pick you up and take you outside. Don't look back. <laughs> don't, don't look longingly no, back. <laughs> absolutely not. That's the worst thing. You know, you see people getting kicked out of a club and the bouncers just like carrying them out. And it's like, how embarrassing versus like, if you were to just leave on your own, like, you know what? Okay. A class I, act right there, but no. So, I mean, Hunter, if you want to tell us why <laughs> we feel strongly about this, tell us why you said he made his bed. Like, oh. give, give us a little elaboration on that. Absolutely. So first of all, Boris Johnson's resignation is coming after a number of scandals. So many of his own officials, they already resigned prior due to their own scandals that had surfaced while Boris Johnson was the leader. And, you know, this was also some of his scandals as well. So we'll get into that in a second. But just a little bit of background on Boris Johnson. So he had risen to power due to kind of his stance on Brexit. He was formerly the mayor of London. And he was tapped by the former Prime Minister, Theresa May, to be the British Foreign Secretary to kind of like help through Brexit and everything. But ultimately, he resigned from that post, not due to scandal, but because he was claiming that May was unable to negotiate a Brexit deal with the EU. He was really just frustrated. And that was because May really went and she tried. She brought a bunch of deals back to the Parliament and... Ultimately, her own party, the Conservative Party, was like, no, we're just going to keep on rejecting the deals. So she kept on bringing them back, but then nobody would do it. So eventually she was basically forced to resign over Brexit. And then that is when Boris Johnson was selected to replace her. So, you know, kind of a, a little contentious. And so before we get into the scandal, so Erica, do you want to tell us kind of like how the prime minister position works in Britain? Yeah. So the prime minister is selected by essentially what amounts to general elections, like in the United States, except the leader of the party that wins the most seats in parliament is the individual who becomes prime minister rather than like a vote we have for a president that is separate from our representatives and senators. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So, I mean, like, technically, yeah, Joe Biden is the leader of the Democrats and Donald Trump was the leader of Republicans. But it's not like if you vote for Republicans for the House of Reps or the Senate, that all of a sudden that automatically mandates. You can obviously have completely different House and Senate compositions from the presidency. So, yeah. And that creates a lot of chaos. So maybe maybe Britain has has the upper hand on that one. Like, yeah. Not to not to get off the rails with this episode. I just was thinking, think of all the times that issues have arisen because we have different House of Representatives and senators, like different parties controlling the House and the president's a different party. Like it's just a mix mash as compared to the United Kingdom Parliament. A parliamentary democracy is pretty different from the kind of democracy that we have. So yeah, I mean, it would be really interesting to see the US with that, but who knows? I mean. I don't know. I don't think America could ever do it just because they were like, absolutely not. We're fighting, get away from Britain, and we are not going to go and embrace their political style after we created democracy. So I think the U.S. would be pretty hard-pressed to ever go and do that. But it would be really interesting, though. I definitely agree with you on that. I think that it would make for a lot less contention between everyone. But It'd be interesting in like a, I would like to step into a parallel universe yes. kind of way. Like I'd yes. like to step into a parallel universe experience of what it'd be like, but like not completely switch over to that. Like, I'm not saying completely switch over to the United States. I just would be curious to see how that might work in the United States. Absolutely. Absolutely. But getting back to these scandals. So Boris Johnson, you know, kind of forced into a corner to resign after all of these scandals surfaced. So one just very recent scandal was from a former government minister named Chris Pincher, who he just very recently stepped down after he was accused of groping two men. And so there were reports of this happening prior as well, but Boris Johnson denied knowing anything about this situation or other similar situations that may have happened in the past. And then quote, but had changed his story twice as new information was published in the media and was accused of lying. So, I mean, you're switching up your story. There's kind of, you know, a press, there, there's some history here and you are changing up your story multiple times. Not a very good look for a politician. So he resigned before these alleged accusations or alleged activities could really be brought to light. And I mean, I guess they still could charge him. I don't know the status on that, but. Well, I mean, the foreign, the former. Isn't that how it always happens? He resigned after, you know, he was accused of this. So, yeah, he was accused, but was he charged or anything? Or was it just like alleged like stories coming forward? That I was not sure from the source. I don't believe so. Um, judging from how the sources were talking about it, I don't believe that he's been charged, but he was accused yeah. of it. So yeah, that that sorry, I if I worded it weird, that's kind of what I was saying. It's like it, the accusations come forward and then someone always resigns before any actual charges get brought mm-hmm. up because obviously yeah. not a good look when you're in office and you're getting charged with heinous crimes that you allegedly may or may not have committed. Absolutely. And so like we said, Boris Johnson, he already just pretty narrowly survived the vote of no confidence last month in June. It was a vote of 211 to 148. So, I mean, it's not like it was a 50, like a 51-49 split, but still pretty close. I mean, 211 to 148. I mean, that's 148 people who are saying, I have no confidence. They voted no confidence in you to lead... (laughs) <laughs> to lead the I was going to say, 
I think the United States has like warped my sense of narrow because I'm like 211 to 148. That's like, like so that's, that's a giant split. <laughs> that's a huge majority compared to the United States, which like the presidential election was down to like what thousands between the presidential vote. Like it's a little crazy at times. So yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, the US definitely has a warped sense of what a real close split is. But the thing is, that's not even Johnson's like biggest scandal. He also was found to violate pandemic restrictions while at his official residence. And he was subsequently fined by police. And this was all during Britain's lockdown. So here he is imposing these rules on everybody else. He's like, you know what? Not for me. Not, <laughs> Not a good me. look. I don't think so. So the police like find him. I mean, that, that's something I can't admit. I can't imagine DC police going and finding the president for something like that. But you know, the Brits do, do as I say. Bit. Not as I do. Yeah, the Brits do it a little bit differently. So, I mean, kind of just to round out this little great, this little piece of the great resi- the great political resignation, excuse me, it, you know, normally the process of selecting a new leader, it takes months, but everyone was calling that it has to be much more expedited than that. Like it, it can't take months. People want him out now. So Britain in the process of finding a new leader, prime minister at this point yeah and boris johnson was very he was talked about a lot i remember recently mm-hmm. that i'm talking about him just having a kid and he's definitely on the him and his wife just welcomed a child and they're definitely on well he is on the older spectrum so i remember that was a big discussion in the media just the logistics of all that i mean we're not here to comment on whether or not he should have had a kid, but just Boris Johnson just always talked about. That's what the point of that little anecdote was. He's in the he media is, a lot. Everything he does, it is just gobbled up like a Kim Kardashian or any of the Kardashian clan. Yeah, he's he's in the media a lot. I mean, he's a public figure. He's a pretty, you know, polarizing figure, as we can tell already just from this. I mean, already just having a vote of no confidence last month, he survives it and then he resigns after. I mean, at that point, why wouldn't you just resign before the no confidence vote? But I mean, here I mean, he he survived the first one, I guess, mm-hmm. in June. So I think he's kind of like, oh, I see the writing on the wall. I would rather leave on my own terms than be forced out by no confidence vote. Because at least he can take a little bit of pride and say, no, I walked away. That I walked away. Fair. You didn't make me walk away. I walked away. So that's I, th- fair. I think that's probably his decision, especially considering the fact that they quote this article quoted as narrowly like if that's what's narrow for britain then he's like all right it's it's time for me to pack up and leave i i gotta go Mm -hmm. that's very fair all right well i think that's enough on boris johnson but let's get into our next resignation and that is actually related to the situation that's going on in sri lanka so president godabaya raja paksha and prime minister reniel wikramish Singha have both agreed to resign on Saturday, July 9th. Again, me and Hunter are just getting it to you guys like right as it happens. We are. We're on top of it. it. The hot girls are on it. (laughs) Yes. So they agree to resign after protesters has stormed both of their official residences and set fire to one of the buildings. Yeah. So we're going to break this all down for you because this is just, this is a very chaotic turn of events. Sri Lanka, you know, going through pretty tough economic times. And this has been, this has been brewing for a second now. Yeah. And I mean, like the rest of the world, we are all having economic hardships. And so 
Sri Lanka is just getting hit harder than most of us. I guess they all decided to protest at the res the official residences, which is an interesting move, an interesting mm. move. And over the economic crisis that was happening all over the country. And I will say that our source says the prime minister said he would step down once a new government is in place and the president would step down on Wednesday, July 13th. So mm-hmm. President Gotabaya Rajapaksha is getting out sooner, but the prime minister, he's staying for a minute. Mm-hmm. And like something to note about that though, is that the president didn't even announce his resignation. It was announced by the speaker of parliament which we'll get into that in a second, because that's that's even more spice on top of this all. Yeah, so let's get into those protests, which actually I have a fun little tidbit for all of y'all a little bit later in the episode, but we'll start with the protests. So they were mm. known to be occurring. So police had promised a curfew, but they didn't put a curfew in place because lawyers and opposition politicians were saying that the curfews would be illegal. Mm-hmm. And it is reported that thousands Quote, thousands of protesters entered the capital, Colombo, and swarmed Rajapaksha's fortified residence. Video images showed jubilant crowds splashing in the garden pool, lying on beds, and using their cell phone cameras to capture the moment. Some made tea, while others issued statements from a conference room demanding that the president and prime minister go. And that's end of the quote. So it sounds a little familiar, um, if anybody, you know, it's just having flashbacks to a certain day in January. Um, There's a whole commission on it in America. It sounds a little bit similar. I don't know. This one was giving more like Project X vibes, (laughs) if I had to guess. I mean, people were just laying on the beds (laughs) and splashing around pools. Yeah, definitely a little bit of, you know, I mean, setting the fire, no, but it seems like some of the protesters were a bit calmer than others. So it's definitely something to note here as well. Yes. And my interesting tidbit, which it goes right in line with this quote. So I'll say it now, but they weren't just capturing this moment. Like they were taking pictures, they were posting on social media. And so the interesting tidbit is I saw a Reddit post. Now it's Reddit, it's social media, take without what you will. Seems pretty authentic to me. It was a guy who posted a picture to a subreddit. So this guy was smoking marijuana in front of the president's house. And he posted a picture of him smoking it and posted it to a Reddit subreddit about smoke spots and captioned it just casually at the president in president's house of Sri Lanka. You know, here's my, here's my number one smoke spot. And let me tell you the amount of awards and the amount of comments on that post was out. It was crazy. Cause I mean, who, who would do that? <laughs> who would, mm-hmm. who would protest at the president's house and post a picture like that to Reddit? And yeah. Like, and then just hey. be smoking. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> It's definitely not something to be expected. I mean, like normally if you're protesting a a public official's house, usually you're not just going to be splashing around in garden pools. But, you know, the protesters in Sri Lanka, I guess they do it a little bit different. I mean, you see French protesters, they're just dropping manure on streets and it's firefighters fighting policemen. And in America, it's a little bit different than that. But you know, I mean, the president but, and the prime minister resigned, so you can't say that their protest didn't it, get results. It, it was a, it was effective in achieving results. That's yes. that's for sure. Yeah. So that was the protest, kind of crazy, kind of blew up on social media a little bit, kind of blew up internationally a little bit, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. And currently, the president's movements are unknown as of right now. And you know, it wasn't even the president that announced his resignation; it was the speaker of parliament. So. Mm-hmm. 
who who knows where the president of Sri Lanka currently is. Yeah, and it was a little crazy because so it was the prime minister's residence. That was the building that had been set on fire. And so it's all a little it's a little strange the more you kind of dig into it a little bit. So opposition politician Rob Hakim was the one that announced that the speaker would take over as the interim president and create an interim government. So I do think that that shows some kind of unity that there is unity within the government. It just was not for these top two officials. So I think that that is also something to note here, but the prime minister did announce himself that he would resign once a new government was in place, but that only angered the protesters even more since they wanted his immediate resignation. Yeah, and the prime minister said it was important to discuss the economic crisis, which like protesters are kind of like protesting that that was caused, I'm assuming, they were blaming the president, like the protesters were mm-hmm. blaming the president, prime minister. So I can imagine how they'd get a little bit more angry when he's like, wait, you know, I need, I need to discuss this crisis. And they're like, you are the crisis. Yeah. Um, because I mean, it was the prime minister. He was brought in in May to go and help this because he was a pretty big diplomat. He, they were really expecting, the president was really expecting the prime minister to fix this. And then, you know, I mean, it's only been two months where he's been the prime minister. So It's not a lot of time to achieve results, especially when you're having this large of an economic crisis. I mean, that is a lot. But when you're having a really angry public like that, you really don't have time to settle, especially when there is a food shortage and you don't have fuel to go around. You don't have fuel to power things. So I can absolutely understand why these two months were a very tumultuous two months. Yeah. And so the prime minister said he would just he needed to discuss the economic crisis with the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, and the head of the World Food Program is coming to Sri Lanka to help solve the food shortage and fuel crisis. And I agree with you, Hunter. Like two months is, I mean, that's like nothing in the political world. That's a very I, I don't know quick turnaround. Sri, yeah, I don't know Sri Lanka's process, but I know in, at least in the United States, like it definitely like things do not get resolved that quickly. Mm. So it is a, it's a bit shocking how quickly the situation escalated considering he was just appointed two months ago, mm-hmm. but authorities have temporary closed schools in response to this. And India is the prime source of aid that Sri Lanka is relying on. And the prime minister is kind of like saying that the international monetary fund is tough to negotiate with since Sri Lanka is bankrupt. I can imagine. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Sri Lanka, like, yeah, obviously you're going to be pretty tough to negotiate because you're not coming from a place of any power. You're you're bankrupt. So Sri Lanka, they currently are citing a foreign currency shortage as why they have suspended their foreign loan repayment. But their, their foreign loans, they have $51 billion of debt. And 28 of those $51 billion are due by the end of the year 2027. So coming from the IMF, that's not a lot of time to work with. That's not a lot of resources to work with. So it's pretty hard for Sri Lanka to be really negotiating with all of this stuff. So, I mean, it's one of those things. I mean, honestly, if you guys haven't checked out our episode, definitely go and check out our BRI episode that talks about Sri Lanka, because that gets a little bit more in depth to Sri Lanka's foreign debt and kind of how their ports being sold off to China or leased to China kind of plays into all of this. It's a pretty, pretty in-depth thing, concept to understand, but 
that episode will definitely shine a little bit more light on it. So if you guys are more curious about this, definitely feel free to go and check out that episode. But all in all, Sri Lanka, they're broke. They are bankrupt and it is hard to ever negotiate with a giant financial institution when you're bankrupt. Yes, and it seems to be that their political regime is just a little unstable as the Rajapaksha political dynasty has been in place since the early 2000s, but it's quickly falling apart. And, Mm -hmm. whoa, the president's older brother resigned as prime minister in May after violent protests saw him seek safety at a naval base, unquote. So So, the first prime minister ran, or the other prime minister ran out by protests, and now Prime Minister Wickramasinghe is also being run out by protesters. And violent protests have been ongoing, and due to the shortage in supplies and hospital, the hospitals were warned by the Sri Lanka Medical Council. So, or Sri Lanka Medical Council, that hospitals quote would not be able to handle any mass casualties from the unrest. So mm -hmm. they are they are dealing with a lot over in Sri Lanka. And so it's like, that's another component to this drama. So the president, nobody knows where the president is. The president was the one that appointed his brother to be the prime minister. And when his brother, the prime minister, was run out by violent protesters, then the new prime minister was brought in, except that prime minister was not able to achieve results within the first two months of his tenure. And so now that prime minister is being run out as well as the president, where that family has been in power for two decades. So there's a fair bit of drama going on with this as well. So, I mean, you know, it's, there's a fair bit going on here. These resignations are all, there's definitely drama surrounding all of them. And normally you're not resigning just because you're like, yeah, you know, I kind of just want to take the summer off and, you know, kind of find my passion and start working on my artwork and stuff. Like, no, normally political resignations, there's, there, a lot of times there's scandal around them and, we're definitely seeing some in Sri Lanka, and that's no different from the case that we were just talking about with Britain. Yeah, and even religious leaders have joined in with the protesters saying that Rajapaksha needed to resign. So mm-hmm. it is it is coming from all sides for yeah, the Rajapaksha it, political dynasty. It's not it's not a good thing at this point. Like there's definitely there's definitely some chaos going on. So we'll see on this coming Wednesday, the 13th of July, if the president is resigning, if he holds true to his word, if we can even find out where the president is at this point, because technically we are unaware of his whereabouts, just judging from our sourcing. So it'll be interesting to see. So that is definitely something that we can give you in this episode that we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. And he might not even like show up for the 13th. He might just be ousted and they'll replace a new president and announce it because he hasn't shown up when he announced when the resignation was announced. He hasn't shown up as of late, as far as we know. And I do, I do think that there will need to be some formality with that just to have that transfer of power. Because otherwise, I think that it would be pretty much like a coup. I mean, it would be, it wouldn't pretty much be, it would be a coup at that point. So I do think that the president's going to have to come out at some point and formally resign himself. You can't just be hearing this from other government officials, especially opposition leaders or, you know, someone that's going to be taking a new position that. I don't know. I just, I think we're going to have to see some form of official resignation coming soon. So I think the president might be in hiding due to these protesters, might come out on Wednesday, might be in a different place, might not even be in the country, but might officially resign in another country or something like that, just due to safety concerns. That's what I was saying. I, I, or that's what I was thinking. I agree there should, but could there be? 
especially yeah. with the way protesters have been, how it's been violent, how the hospitals can't take on any more mass casualties. Would the Sri Lankan government want to risk it? Could they, I mean, would the president be willing to write like a letter that's notarized and signed, something like that? Mm-hmm. That was just like my thinking, like it's, it's really toss up. And like you said, Hunter, we're just going to have to wait and see. That sounds like it will be an excellent blog post. So y'all can check Erica and I writing something on that in the future when we find it out ourselves on our website. Yep. So let's get into our final resignation. Although I will say this isn't just one person, one political leader, and this one definitely hits a little closer to home. So Hunter, Mm -hmm. if you'd like to take it away. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to come out and say it. So the title of this article Over 300 Virginia state employees resign in wake of government Youngkin's telework policy. So just jumping right into this, first starting out with a direct quote from the article and then a direct quote from Governor Youngkin. So the governor's office stressed would provide options for and supports the use of telework where appropriate. Youngkin said it would help, quote, balance the demands of government services with the needs of our public servants. So you're already seeing that already a little bit contentious, people really like their telework, especially throughout the pandemic. That's one of the things that in this crazy job market that recruiters are really pushing for companies to offer their new employees because it's something that makes people want to work there. So when you're having people that have, you know, 10, 15 offers, which I wish if there's anyone listening, I would love a job offer. However, I rest my case. This is one of those really attractive components to attract workers to a a new job saying, hey, we can provide you with telework. That's that's one of the easy things, especially if their job doesn't require them to be in office, then congratulations, something to offer them. Well, you're in luck, Hunter. Dylan Bishop, who's a lobbyist for the Virginia Governmental Employees Association, was reported by 8 News saying, quote, unfortunately, we're not surprised by this information. We had anticipated the shift in the policy would result in an exodus of workers which was really concerning because of the state's recruitment and retention issues. So you could, unquote, so you could get a job in the Virginia government employees as a Virginia governmental employee. There are some openings, yes. Yeah, as a corporate girly, telework is definitely a hot topic, especially in my line of work. I will say that I agree with some, some companies bringing back employees just because you can't always do the work from home. For example, sending out packages. I send out packages at my job and I cannot do that from home. I mean, I'd have to get a printer, mm-hmm. all, all this, all this some stuff. Things, so. Some things you just kind of have to do in office, which is understandable. But I mean, this, you had these yeah. people that were teleworking before. So clearly it was working all right. So I can understand the frustration of these people. I absolutely can relate to that. I mean, we telework for this podcast. Here we are on Zoom recording our podcast. So I mean, that's true. And we are, yeah. we are lucky that we are able to telework and we're not in a medical professional Absolutely. field where, you know, we need to be in yeah. on site. And one of those things where you just can't help it. You have to, you have, if you're, you know, treating patients physically, you have to be there physically. You have to be present on the job site. I will say like, there are some government jobs that require on-site work. So while they might've I, and I'm not arguing in favor because I love telework. I wasn't a huge fan when it first started, but I, I'm a big telework stan. You're a telework like, girly. Yeah, I'm a telework girly. And for example, though, the parks and recreation, like maybe some of the administrative positions definitely could be telework, but like you can't, you can't work 
if you're going to be like a, a park attendant, park I can't attendant. think of yeah. Yeah, you can't you can't work from home. And I, I understand it. And then it comes up to the issue of is it fair to make some people come back and not make everybody to come back if you're like employers the same? Mm-hmm. I get that argument. Again, not arguing for or in favor of or against of telework, but just as a corporate yeah. girly, this hits a little close to home because they said in the article that Vegas survey quote surveyed its members and the results showed that some felt the policy was rushed, confusing, and inefficient. My company, we had the same results from surveys that many people were in favor of the telework. Cause again, like you said, Hunter, they'd been doing it fine for a couple of years. They don't see why they have to come back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and then just continuing on with this. So this is a quote within a quote. Bishop added that Youngkin's failure to meet his deadline, but expecting state workers to adhere to the rules set out in the policy brought a quote, loss of trust in the administration, end quote. And so basically, Governor Youngkin said that he had set out a deadline of June 3rd that all the requests to continue to telework would be reviewed by then. The governor missed that deadline. There are still active requests out there today, to this date, as of the release of this podcast episode. So clearly, you know, the governor's not meeting his deadline requirements. So obviously that's like where you're expecting other people to adhere to things, but you're not. That kind of just like in Boris Johnson's resignation, he expected everyone to adhere to the lockdown rules, but he's not adhering to the lockdown rules himself. So while Governor Youngkin is not the one who's resigning here, it's just one of those things of where it's like, as a public leader, you really do have to have that legitimacy behind you. And when you say that you're gonna do something, you need to meet that because otherwise, you are going to have workers that are stating that they don't trust the administration and that there's a loss of trust because you're saying all these things, you're expecting all these workers to abide by all these rules that you're putting out, but then you're not abiding, you're not holding up your end of the deal. So that I, you know, I mean, it's understandable why these workers are frustrated. And so, yeah, it sounds like he didn't tell a work hard enough. Sounds like <laughs> I hated that one, but we're leaving it in. I had to hear it. So do all of our listeners. The collective groan. Mm-hmm. Um, but going back to the source. So for the Depart- Department of Ener- Emergency Management under Youngkin's government, no requests were sent to the governor's chief of staff. But in a quote, it says it has 166 full-time employees and 137 telework agreements were approved. 24 are pending approval and none have been denied. Which, like, if no requests were sent, how did they get approved? So that's kind of where this comes in really bizarrely. So also this source is coming from July 8th of where all these numbers are coming from. So just to put that out there, we are, this is July 11th when we are recording this, but this source was from July 8th. So the numbers might be a little bit different by now. But so essentially what happens is that the request to continue teleworking, they, there was a three-tiered approval system. And so this is from another one of our sources. This one is from Matt Delaney at the Washington Times. So, quote, for those seeking one day a week, they had to get approval from their supervisor. Those who wanted two days a week had to get approval from their department's cabinet secretary. For three or more days, the, government, the governor's chief of staff had to sign off on. So, I mean, like getting your supervisor to sign off on it, okay, that, that's not bad. Getting a cabinet secretary for the state to sign off on it, 
okay, you know, they're usually pretty busy. Are they gonna be able to look at all these things and figure out, okay, yes or no? I mean, especially when you're getting hundreds or even thousands of them. And then the governor's chief of staff for three or more days, okay, well, if you were hired on completely telework and you were hired on during the pandemic and you have been working telework the whole time, I'd assume that there's a fair bit of people that are gonna be wanting to continue to telework. So, you know, that's a lot for the governor's chief of staff to be going through, but that's kind of like where this policy is coming from. And that's where a lot of people are stating that it feels really rushed, it's confusing, and they're kind of like unsure about it. Like, it just feels like they kind of got hit left, like out of left field with it. It's just very bizarre and confusing to them. Yeah. And you made a good point, Hunter, about people who started working as telework. Like they've never known office life. Am I exactly at my company? We had a lot of those people and it was actually interesting. I was wondering how that was going to go down when we eventually got back into office because my company said repeatedly that the goal was always to get us back. Mm-hmm. And I remember on the postings, it would say temporarily remote will be expected to come back in office once, you know, it was yeah. quote unquote safe. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if the Virginia government did that when they put out their job postings, I would assume they would, cause that would kind of cover their bases and the whole bring everybody back to office, but mm-hmm. yeah, but we're already seeing a little bit of mismanagement on this policy. So can't be a hundred percent sure that unfortunately wasn't covered in the sources if that was stated, but it was stated that some of the workers were kind of confused and kind of concerned if they were hired on during the pandemic, they weren't sure kind of where to go to in the office, especially say that your office for your department is all the way across the state, but you were teleworking, so it was fine because you were teleworking. So how exactly are you supposed to get there? But we'll talk about a little bit more about those concerns in a second. I mean, You also had, just going through some of the other agencies, the Virginia Department of Transportation, there were over 2,000 telework requests. And so this is one of the things that I I kind of take issue with because I feel like, you know, if people were requesting for five full days, but then they ended up requesting the two-day request. So the article was saying that some had changed from five-day request to two-day request with the Virginia Department of Transportation. And something about that just seems a little hinky to me. It just seems a little bit off because if you're really requesting for five days and then you go down to two, when the threshold is three or more days, it has to go to the governor's chief of staff. It's kind of like, you know, did you, were you pressured into feeling like you had to go down to two days because you didn't think that the governor's chief of staff would allow you to do that, but you had a better feeling that maybe your cabinet secretary would allow you to do that? Like, that to me just that something just seems off about that. And it just gives me an odd feeling, just coming from my own personal opinion and just having my own experience within this field of government. Just just an odd feeling. So I just thought that I'd kind of throw that out there in this episode, just because it is a little weird. Yeah. Well, going on just running down the numbers real quick, because we we've been talking for a little bit, Hunter. Mm-hmm. So listen, just- I mean, we have three parts of the great political resignation to get through. It's been a, it's been an episode here. <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying, I want to get through these numbers so we can continue talking more you. about it. So quickly running down from our source, the department of housing and community development had 147 out of 147 telework requests approved. So 100%, love I guess. Love that. Department of elections said that 52 telework requests have been approved in its FOIA. Yeah. FOIA. FOIA response. The Department of Education had, quote, out of 
515 classified positions within the state's Department of Education eligible for telework, 501 workers submitted applications, according to its FOIA response on June 27th. So that's uh, that's almost 100% again right over there. And that's just, that's crazy to me. And Employment Commission Department received 454 telework requests and three were denied. And the Department of Health said that as of June 27th, the Virginia Department of Health has received 1,928 telework applications. Mm-hmm. And just that, just going by uh, why some of these numbers aren't there, but some of them are there for other ones, like which ones were denied. So it kind of all depended on the source and how the FOIA requests were presented to them. So some were saying that we can't give you those numbers. Some were saying that we can give you that number. So FOIA is the Freedom of Information Act. So fun fact, you can go in FOIA, any public, you know, institution within America, and you can try and have a FOIA request for them. So that will get you a little bit more privileged information that the government or the bureaucracy doesn't really feel like sharing with you. But due to the Freedom of Information Act, you may be able to get some more of that information. But some of that information wasn't fully shared. Some of the agencies shared a little bit more than others. So that's why some of those numbers were a little, little kind of odd. Yeah, I mean, they, they're probably taking their time releasing this information, especially as it's like just kind of coming out. These are mm-hmm. recent sources. When did you say this was from? July 8th? July 8th, yeah. Yeah, so super recent. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's get into the response from this great resignation in Virginia mm-hmm. government. The Democrats called for the governor to take this issue up after Labor Day and have an interagency work group look over policy and recommend changes if they have any. The governor did not do this, but, and and this is in quotes, but did make adjustments allowing state employees without alternatives for childcare to request temporary telework agreements through September 5th to work remotely up to five days a week, Mm -hmm. end quote. Yeah, I mean, I'm no domestic politics expert, but you would think if you were having a bunch of adults coming back from telework that you would not do it over the summer when kids don't have school and it's going to be a fair bit harder to reintegrate those workers back into the, you know, structure of being on site. Just a personal thought that, hey, maybe if you waited two months, this wouldn't have been such a big political deal, but this has been, this has been throughout the news the last few days. So I don't think, like, I I kind of have to agree with the workers. This feels a little bit rushed and wasn't fully thought out. This wasn't a full ass plan. Maybe they could have waited till gas prices went down. I mean, like. that's the thing. So, yeah, because I mean, in another source, they talk about that one of like some of the workers concerns for coming back was that one, they don't have access to childcare because it's over the summer. So they were really banking on teleworking because they there's nowhere to put their kids right now because school's not in session. And then the other one was the cost of travel to get back into the office because gas prices are so high. So it's like, I, you know, I don't, there's something about this plan. I don't think it was fully fleshed out before it was truly implemented. So I kind of have to agree with the workers here. It feels a little bit rushed. Yeah. And I, I mean, personally, after working, like not even, I mean, all of that is a great motivation. I mean, think about pet owners too. Like if you mm-hmm. have a pet that is so used to having you home every day, like it's going to be difficult and you have to get pet care, which is like similar to, you know, childcare, similar arrangements, but obviously different. 
but also yeah like obviously this, the children are much more expensive yeah know, child care is definitely more expensive um but and can't send dogs to school <laughs> yeah. but like also just like the comfort like of being in your home not having to buy work clothes. I think about if you never worked in office, you never had to buy office clothes. And Mm -hmm. as someone who used to go in office six days a week, I cannot imagine being in full-time again. Like I just physically cannot imagine having to do the commute and rush hour traffic, taking over an hour to get into work some days. Oh my God. It's just, yeah, it's just, I mean, you're right. Like there's a lot of like costs to be incurred here. So if you do have a little quarantine pet and they're super attached to you, you might have to send them to doggy daycare, or you might have to board them throughout the day or something. Children, you might have to go and drop them off at daycare. That's another big expense. You might have to buy new work clothes. That might be a big expense. If you were teleworking and you didn't have a car, okay, well now you have to rely on transportation to get there. That's another expense. So especially caregiving, if you're a caregiver for an adult, especially with COVID. Exactly. There's so many expenses incurred here. And while gas prices are at a giant high, while inflation is at a big high, things are crazy expensive all across the country. I mean, they're expensive throughout the world, as we just saw with the economic crisis in Sri Lanka. Obviously, price, things are expensive right now. And so that's another one of those points that I feel like this policy was not fully thought out. So I don't think that it should be to anybody's surprise that there's at least 300 government workers out of I believe that one of the sources was saying that there were around 50 something thousand state employees that were classified within Virginia. So, I mean, 300 and all out of 55,000, not a huge number, but it's a big enough number to turn some heads, especially when bureaucracy is already so slow and government agencies are already so slow. But one of the big things about this, though, is that this article touches on this. And so it says, Basically, the article was saying that it's unknown of how many workers have been teleworking, but the Virginia's, so Virginia's Department of Human Resource Management, quote, has to provide a report to lawmakers by November 1st on the number of state workers who teleworked from March 2020 to July 4th, 2022. So this is another point in why this policy feels rushed and why there might be so many state employees resigning, because if the government didn't know how many teleworkers there were, then how is it supposed to come up with a pretty comprehensive and cohesive policy on telework when they are unaware of how many people were teleworking? It just feels very rushed. It does not feel like a competent policy at this point. This is one of those things where it's like, you probably wanted to have that report before you made the decision to tell everyone you have two months to get back in because the decision came out on May 5th, they wanted them back in by July 5th, that's two months, but you didn't even know how many teleworkers there were. So that, that to me, something's not clicking there. I think, okay, and this might be a guess, but based off of the way that this was worded, I think that the Virginia government full, full well knows how many telework employees they have. The problem is they haven't reported it yet and they don't actually have to until November 1st. So. Cause like, I mean, I know my company can definitely check like technology logs. Like, of course they're, they, this is the government. They're, they're trying to pinch pennies wherever they can. They know how many computers they've given away. They know how many VPNs they had to activate. Like they definitely, I think are aware just whether or not they're choosing to share that information and be open about it. That's another question. You say this, but 
I mean, the IRS doesn't even have enough auditors to go and audit billionaires. So I, it's, it's points like that of where you would think that the government would have all these numbers already, but they obviously don't because this report's not even due until, you know, November 1st. So that's where it's like, you know, I don't think that y'all had all the information to be going off of. I think, think you went off the information that you had, but I don't think that you had all of the information to go off of. You know what I'm saying there? I see, but I still think they know. I think they know. And, you know, it does, it does the, they have to report from March, 2020 to July 4th, 2022. July mm-hmm. 4th was literally less than a week ago. They're probably still tallying up. Um, even if they don't have an exact number, I think they definitely have a pretty good idea. But that was the day that before the policy was supposed to end. So, I mean, that's just kind of like going through and just saying, Hey, this is how many teleworkers were there while technically telework was allowed for all this stuff before you had to request specifically to telework. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't know. I think I think we're gonna have to agree to disagree on this one because I feel like we're both on some separate sides over here. But <laughs> yes, um, and you know we both come from different backgrounds. You're in grad school. You're w- more involved with the government, I would say, than I am. I'm just corporate girly. But you are a corporate girly who corporate has experience girl. with telework. So pros and cons. Pros and cons. But the nearby areas have returned to in-person work much quicker than Virginia with workers in Washington, DC and Maryland returning to the office last summer. And I can agree because my company, we started hybrid last summer. We're not all back five days a week though. I think that was a pretty harsh move on the Virginia government from my personal opinion as a corporate girly, like definitely Mm -hmm. the companies that chose to take it slow have, I would say the advantage in my opinion. However, they started earlier. Yeah. So where Virginia government may be thinking, and this is just me falling here, is that they were like, okay, we're going to give you an extra year, but we're actually going to like, just we're going to do, do a really quick one. Full stop. Year. Yeah. Like literally just like zero to a hundred. And personally, I like the hybrid approach, like started off with one day. Now, mm-hmm. now it's two days and who knows, maybe it'll be three days. Yeah. It just depends. I mean, but that that's, I think one of the big points where I agree with you, Hunter, that they didn't handle this the best way. Like, I mean, yeah. what, that's like a shock to the system. Like that, exactly. is, that really is. Within two months. And I mean, it's like all of a sudden you have to have, find out, you know, transportation, you have to figure out care for your children. If you have any, you have to figure out care for elderly parents or, you know, anybody that you're at home taking care of. It, it, it's a lot. It's a lot to do all within two months and then have to figure out all that stuff. But especially because Here's the thing. So quoting from another source, this is our last source for the episode. So we will be done very shortly here. Employees, they were given two weeks to submit telework applications. So they were given two weeks after the policy was announced. So it's like, you know, you're already like stressing about like, oh my gosh, there's only two months left of this. I have to hurry up and do this. There's two weeks for it. Then you have the governor saying, hey, we're going to get through all of these requests by June 3rd but then all of a sudden it's coming up to the deadline. So if your request wasn't processed within that time and your request is getting processed after the deadline, what happens then? What happens if your request is getting processed on July 11th when you were supposed to be back in office on July 5th, but you still have kids at home, you still have people that you're taking care of at home, you still don't have transportation because you're hoping to get this telework request. Like, are you supposed to just be buying a car in case you have to go back to work? Are you supposed to be already having all these plans arranged when you're hoping to have this because you were going on the governor's word saying that it would be done by June 3rd. Like, this is why this policy just seems so rushed and so 
it, it just, I mean, it, it seems very half-baked here. Like as a policy, I think that this was not implemented in a correct fashion. They're like, telework it out yourself. Yeah, they're like, tele, find a way to work because at this point we're not dealing with it. You're just gonna have to figure it out. I promise I'm done with the telework puns. Listen, that one was solid, that one was solid. <laughs> yeah, but okay, so like you mentioned, Hunter, you know, employees raising concerns on loss of flexibility, like we talked about previously. And, you know, they raise concerns on travel costs and childcare troubles. I mean, especially with gas out of control. I will never stop saying that because it is yeah, the highest it's, it's ever crazy. been. It's crazy. It's crazy. So I, I feel the Virginia state employees on that. And more than 21,000 state employees were actually eligible for telework. And 46% of them chose a telework option. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm not saying I don't trust our source, but like, I don't believe that. <laughs> I, I don't believe that. No, like, no, you know no, what? I'm no, trusting no. the government, but I'm not trusting the source. I'm not I, no, I don't trust that <laughs> survey. Like, I want to know exactly what that survey said, because like, you know what? They're a little tricky with the way they'll, they'll word their survey sometimes. And I just, I don't believe that only 46% chose a telework option. Well, I mean, like, uh, there were a fair bit of people though, like part of those 300 workers that resigned that just simply resigned. And they said, I'm not, they said it's a lack of a telework option. I'm just not coming back. I will resign and I will go and find work elsewhere. So, I mean, you are seeing that people were saying that according to our sources, there were also some that were just citing other for the reasons, but it was believed that they were saying that it was because of telework, but they had just stated other for why they were leaving. So, I mean, you know, the surveys, you're only going to be able to get so much out of them, but it does seem like there were a fair bit of people that were really disappointed about this lack of telework options anymore. So, I don't know. Well, so I'm saying like only 46% chose the telework option. Like I know 300 is a lot of people, but I mean, they said 20,000 state employees were eligible for telework. So I'm going to assume that those 300 weren't eligible. So that would maybe put it at like 2%. Like I'm just shocked at the number. I thought that like maybe it would be 60 to 70% would be telework, especially with like, again, childcare costs. Like I know when I was a babysitter, I charged a lot. And that was like four years ago with inflation. I would put my rates up now. (laughs) You're like, I'm a business woman. Yeah, I'm a, I will, we and Hunter are business we, people. We we go we, with the market, baby. Yeah, like inflation who? No. So the hot girls stay on top of the market. That's all we got. That's what I'm saying. Like, I just like, I, I just don't believe that it's only 46%. I feel like out of 21,000 people eligible for it, like, I feel like that number, that survey number should have been higher. That's what I'm saying. Like, I, and I, again, I think that 300 there's just, make percent or two. There's just something just that some may fishy. be a little bit off. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, so just to wrap this episode up and especially just talking about the Virginia state employees, a, a quote from our last source, quote, Youngkin's office told WIRC, which this was the reporting agency that had, original re- that had originally reported on this and submitted these FOIA requests. Youngkin's office told WIRC in a FOIA response that as of July 7th, there were at least 1500 final applications. So like I said, if you did not prepare for this, then you waited this long. The government has still not gotten to your request yet. And they are saying, no, I I, I don't know. You still got to wait. We still got to decide on it. So that's also a point of this of where, you know, it was stated earlier that Virginia, their recruitment and their retention rate for state employees is not the best. And so now you have 300 state employees leaving the state employment. 
and you are over a month behind on your deadline that you had given <laughs> to give people responses for telework, and you're still processing these requests while you are actively losing employees that could potentially be processing these requests. So it's like there's already enough slowness within this government, within this bureaucracy, and within this administration of Virginia. And then you're continuing to lose employees because of these process and this policy. So this whole policy, I think we can all say that it just, it, it seems very half-baked. It seems very rushed to be implemented. And it just does not seem like there was as much thought that should be going behind this in a correct timeline as what they were thinking in the beginning. I agree with you, Hunter, that there are definitely some points that should have been more well thought out on. I, you know, this, the telework debate is. And we have to do a debate. whole episode on the telework it debate, is, honestly. It we is a great do a debate. I mean, we'll do a blog post. We did the four day work week. And I mean, like, if I had to choose between fully teleremote or telework and a four day work week in office. Oh, I choose a four day. I would choose a four day. And so I'm saying like, it is, it is an interesting debate because I see there are two sides to the one. And I think a lot of people don't talk about the investment in the city, especially when it comes to the private sector. Like I know my company specifically invests a lot in Detroit. So there was a lot of motivation to stimulate the economy of the, of Detroit, like Detroit businesses, mm -hmm. specifically small businesses. And so it's like, I, yeah, like when, when, when I was told to that a lot of office space and stuff, like it, yeah. Employers have an incentivization to bring workers back because if they're already paying for these spaces, they want workers to come back because yeah, otherwise, I mean, otherwise there's no point in paying for this giant building where all these people are supposed to be working if nobody's in that building working. Might as well convert I, it to something else. And I can see the Virginia government thinking the same thing because more people working, more people buying things for lunch, more people just like in the city, mm -hmm. you know, doing So I like, I see that point. That's why it's an interesting debate. So I mm -hmm. could not tell you my full thoughts on the resignation. I think it's interesting. I think it's crazy. Just like mm -hmm. Boris Johnson, just like Sri Lanka. And that is why this episode is great political resignation, because this literally all happened this month. Like guys, it is not it even happened halfway in the through last the month. week. It, happened it in is the last not week. even halfway through the month. And this is all happening. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> that is, that it, is it some crazy things. Just the last week, which is so insane. So that's why this episode is so long, because obviously we had to give it all to you guys. We couldn't leave one of these out if we're talking about resignations and they've all just happened within days of each other. I mean, a lot going on in July already for policy, especially foreign policy when you have foreign leaders resigning and then you have state employees resigning. It's, you know, we got a little bit of our foreign policy in there. We got our domestic policy in there. This episode, truly a fine creation of both. Yes. And we know it's been long, so we won't keep on talking your ears off, but let us mm -hmm. know what you guys think of the episode specifically tell us your thoughts on the whole telework thing. I think that's a really interesting debate and definitely something that me and Hunter will have to touch on in another episode. Um, but we'll leave this goodbye short and sweet and we will see you guys on the next episode and surprise hint. You may be getting a bonus episode. Maybe. <laughs> Just kidding. <A> bonus. <laughs> but with that, Thank you so much, Erica. I always have so much fun on all the episodes with you. It's always just a great time. You know, this is our hot girl moment for every single week. So I love it. I love that I get to spend our hot girl moments together. Yes, it feels good to be spending the hot girl summer chatting with you on just 
the way of the world. It honestly, I'm so <laughs> glad because if I had no one to talk about it with, like I would go crazy. It's fun. It's fun. But thank you guys all so much for tuning in and listening. Like you said, we know it's a longer episode, but we wanted to give you guys every little bit of it. So you can enjoy this even longer work commute if you are dealing with all the people stopping in for gas, because congratulations, you've, it's probably a mile long to stop yep. in for gas. So with that, <laughs> enjoy this episode and thank y'all so much for tuning in and we'll see you guys next week for a brand new episode of your Hot Girl Briefing. Bye. Bye.